to tell you the truth, to be honest with you. Now, we say that a lot, don't we? Why do we say that? Because we're lying the rest of the time? No. Why would I say, well, to tell you the truth or to be honest with you? It's because we're trying to emphasize the the veracity, the power that this is true, what we're going to say. And that's because we live in a very flawed world where there's a lot of dishonesty, a lot of lying, a lot of misleading statements, and we, we wonder what to trust. It's the age of what we've called or people call the fake news. What is true? A number of years ago, I had a very close friend who was the chief science officer for Lockheed Martin Aerospace, which is way up in that organization, had, I don't know, 70,000 people that reported to him, not directly, but he's an amazing man. And many regarded him as one of the, the best or the smartest science officers in all of the world. And he had an incredible career. But while he was probably in his uh, early 50s, a Christian organization that he had helped many times, and he, he does it, love the Lord and serve the Lord in many ways, asked him if he would be willing to come and work with them, which meant a real decrease in salary. It meant a move, meant a lot of changes, meant a lot of sacrifice, but he was a, he was a man that, you know, he was open to doing that, prayed about it, and uh, sold his home, got ready to move, and when he called to confirm the timing of his arrival there at this new ministry, they said, well, we decided not to have you come. And uh, I still remember when that happened, and I was so upset, (laughs) because I knew this Christian organization, and yet what sticks in my mind was not what they did, is how he responded to that. And, And that happens to us. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Someone has lied to you. They've deceived you. They've betrayed you. I think all of us have received that from time to time where there's been some dishonesty that's really, in a significant way, impacted our lives. Or it may be the other way that you have done that to someone else. And a lot of these things that are happening to us on the outside will flow from the heart. We have referred to this verse in Proverbs, which I think is an outstanding verse, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Above all else, you guard it, for it is the source of life. And it's interesting about what Jesus is going for in this sermon. We've titled our whole series, It's the Heart, the Heart that Matters. But the heart is what you can't see. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. There's a lot going on in here. What we see is on the outside. And as he is describing this heart of the matter, he talks about, really gives six illustrations of how that works. And we've talked about these the last few weeks about how murder, really, that's the outward action, comes from a heart of anger. Adultery will come from a heart of lust. Divorce will happen as a result of someone's, at least someone's, hardness of heart. And now he comes to telling the truth, being honest, having integrity. So this is our text in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. And let me read this and you can follow along. Again, you have heard it said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. 
But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. I had to, I probably shouldn't say anything on that one, but uh, that was before Claire all, your hairdresser knows. But I thought of this, God's always known the truth. I shouldn't, I don't go to that road too far. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one, which would be Satan. So he's talking about the, the making an oath, telling the truth. So integrity, truthfulness, honesty are all heart issues that have implications externally. This morning, we're going to break this down in four ways. One, we'll look at the condition, the condition of the society, the command that he gives, the course that we should take, and finally, the character of telling truth, making a promise. So first, the condition. The condition that he finds himself in with this crowd listening to him, he knew their hearts. As, we, as I said last week, can you imagine the speaker looking out at the audience and he knows everything you're thinking? He knows your past, he knows your future, he knows all the thoughts, he knows all the things you may start daydreaming. I can't tell that, but the Lord knows all of it. He knew their hearts, and he knows our hearts. Everyone else knew the incredible hypocrisy of the day. It's not a lot different from us today. In the day of Facebook and image management and projection and performance, and trying to polish up how things appear. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the prophet said, The heart is more deceitful than anything else, and incurable. Who can understand it? So the issue of oaths, of taking an oath, or swearing by something, we all do that. We could say, and I think people will say, Well, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear to God. This is very similar to what people were doing in this day, not necessarily uh, cursing in the sense of using profanity, <clears throat> but by invoking some higher authority to validate what I've said. And that's that's what swearing is, or taking an oath is is asking a higher authority to give an account to what I've said. So, the Bible does speak about integrity. It talks about taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, I think we all do that from time to time. We say, well, I don't take the Lord's name in vain. Anytime you use God's name without thought or carelessly, you take his name in vain. And so we can, you know, you ever, you ever done this before? You, you bow your head and pray. You don't even know what you just said. It's like driving home. You don't even remember going down that road. It's uh, an emptiness that takes place. And he calls us to to challenge us about this. So what, what was happening, and this is really the condition of the people, is that they would, in order for, to have a convincing argument, they would, they would ask a higher authority to validate what they were saying. So they would swear by the temple, or they would swear by the gold in the temple, or they would swear by their head, or swear by something else. And all of these had rank orders. So the only one that really you had to stick to was if you swear by, to God. <laughs> All the others, you know, if, if you didn't fulfill your promise, 
then that's okay. I mean, that was to be expected. And what Jesus is saying is truth ought to run through your veins. Everything you say ought to be honest and to be truthful. There's another passage that I think explains this in in further detail, Matthew chapter 23. And I'd like to just read this to you. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the time, because they do the most swearing. They're always making notes. Well, I swear to this, or I swear to that. Here's what he says. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is, on, that is, on, is, bound, by, is bound by his oath. Blind people. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and everything on it. And the one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, And yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out at a gnat, but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. And it goes on, and I will not read the entire passage, but you notice what he says, You're all, the outside of the cup is all clean, but the inside is completely corrupt. And they, they have really altered their system. And it's interesting because when he, when he goes to the, the second part of this, that we go to the command that he gives, it's interesting of what that really looks like. But before we get to that, let me just talk to the, about the effect of truthfulness. When I'm not truthful with you, you can't trust me. Isn't that right? Trust is broken down. And everything that is important in our lives is based on trust. When, I, when I'm dishonest, it has, it has an incredibly negative impact upon every relationship that I have. But when I walk in truth and live in truth and speak the truth, it allows for there to be peace and joy and happiness and union. I can't control how people treat me, but I can control how I respond to that. And this is what what he's moving toward. This last week, it was interesting. I followed some of these uh, stuff on television with the politics, mainly because I just have a curiosity of how our government works or doesn't work. (laughs) But there was an interesting conversation about motives. And it's really, to me, fascinating how... So many people get up and start making accusations about people's motives. And I, I, I was taught by my parents when I was young, don't judge someone's motives. <laughs> and I think there's a reason for that. Because I can't really tell what is motivating you to do something unless you tell me. Oftentimes, I, I struggle to understand what motivated me to do something. 
And I was reading one of the old uh, church fathers who said this. He said, as I look back over my life, I wonder if there's anything that I've ever done that was with a perfectly pure motive. (laughs) Because we're corrupt people. We also have a tendency to compartmentalize. Remember this back in uh, years ago with one of our presidents who who said, well, I I made this mistake um, and I did this and I was dishonest, but this was my private life. That doesn't affect my public life. We like to do that. And I'm not just trying to pick on people in politics. They're just probably more visible. But, But we tend to compartmentalize. Here's what William Barclay said. He said, here is a great and eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments in some of which God is involved and others of which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the home. There cannot be one kind of standard of conduct in the church and another standard of conduct in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into the certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life and every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words. And there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into any transaction. We will regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. So, God is our judge. And... He is the one that sees everything and knows everything. He knows the motives of our hearts. And this is what he continues to to move toward. See, that society was a lot like ours today. They were masters at image. Uh, They were masters at creating the right face. But inside, there were troubled people. And this is where he goes. So second, I want us to notice the command that he gives. And this is a throughout this little section here, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's not doing away with the law. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. I want you to understand what that is saying. So you have heard it said, and what he makes reference to here is interesting, because when he says, uh, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to to the Lord. Actually, what he's quoting here was not something from the Old Testament, he was quoting one of their traditions. <laughs> and there's a difference between the word of God and tradition. But it got kind of mixed up with a lot of these people. Tradition became as authoritative as, as the word of God, which, is, which has happened to us as well. And so he points this out. They had twisted the law to their own, to their own advantage. And... We ask the question, okay, is it right to make an oath or to swear, to swear by something? And I would say yes, because you find in the Old Testament, I'll get to this in a moment, it it is commanded by God in making an oath. Jesus made an oath. Paul made an oath. Prophets made an oath. But, But it had been completely perverted. It is always right to tell the truth. It is always right to, um, to convey what is honest and has integrity. Now, immediately my mind goes to, are there exceptions? Is it ever right to not tell the truth? And I, would, and I know we digress a little bit, but, 
somehow we get into these ethical discussions. You know, my dad, when he went off to, uh, I was just a kid, he went off to Monterey to uh, school to study. And I said, I was just little then, he said, I said, what are you studying? He said, cryptology. And I thought, oh, that is so cool. My dad studied about kryptonite and the effects on Superman. <laughs> I later found out that uh, it, was, it was a science of coding and decoding. Now, now, that's pretty popular now because we have computers and everything, but that's back in the day. I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie uh, Imitation Game um, but, or The Hunt for Red October. You know, you get all, the, all this spying, and, that, and that's what my dad did. So his, his whole career... He would never tell us what he did. He would take trips. Um, if I'd asked my dad, he would give me some answer that I had no clue what he just said. But the, his, whole, his whole career was on deception, uh, pretty much with the Russians. I don't mean to bring the Russians, <laughs> Russian controversy, but, but this, this was it. You know, trying to figure out what they're thinking, what they're doing, decoding all their, their things. And I think there are times when being dishonest or deceptive is okay. Now, this could get to a long conversation, but let me, let me just give some examples. One, when you're playing basketball. <clears throat> okay. Now, if we say you need to be completely honest about everything you do in your life, and you go like this, say, that's not right. You, you deceived me. <laughs> you pretended like you were going right, and you went left. You are not an honest person. <clears throat> Wartime. When there's wartime, it's understood. I would say if someone breaks into my home and asks, uh, where, where is your wife and children? I, I, don't, I don't owe them the truth. <laughs> um, and we find examples of these in, throughout the scriptures. But I would say that the rule, the guiding rule for the Christian is to have integrity of heart. This is what God wants. He wants us to be truthful and honest. That doesn't mean you need to say everything that you know is true. <laughs> that can get you into trouble. You don't need to do that. But what you do say is truthful. You have honesty in your heart. That is the overriding message of Scripture. Let me give you a couple uh, Scripture references to this. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, it says, Fear the Lord your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. So it's not a flippant, I swear to God, but I recognize that any promise I make, any commitment I make, any truth I speak, anything I say, I'm accountable to God. And I don't make myself accountable to my mother's grave or something else that I could get out of. Everything I do is accountable to God. Leviticus 19 verse 12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. So what is an oath? An oath is a, is a type of covenant. It is, a, it is an agreement between two people or more. And all through scriptures, we see covenants. And they're taken very, very seriously. The covenant that God had with Abraham, uh, the covenant that God had with Moses, the covenant with his people. This is a, an agreement. It is, a, it is something that uh, even today we use in a court of law and legal matters. And it's interesting, the Hebrew word that is used uh, to describe this oath, the oaths that are taken, is in a passive tense, which means I'm having to respond to someone else. And it also has interwoven into that Hebrew word that the number seven. And, of course, number seven is, is used as a number of perfection, but that others, others more than one, will attest 
to this fact. So when a couple gets married, that's probably what most of you may remember, is if you've been to a wedding ceremony or been in one, that uh, you you make vows. You make vows to each other. Now, that's because you're doing this before others and the seriousness of the occasion. Now, that doesn't mean that, okay, now it's time to tell the truth. All other times you're not telling the truth. But it is a weighty thing. And God does not condemn this. He actually says to do that. We're calling on God to attest to the truthfulness of the oath. So third, what is the course indicated? Well, he talks about here, truth. What is truth? And we've talked about this because if you get into any conversation with a person in Boulder County, I think you have to establish what, what is your worldview. If you jump into an argument right away, you're going to have a hard time with that. But what, what do you believe truth is? What is truth? What is truth for you? That's, that's where I find the best place to begin the conversation. Because if we just start on the, the subject and I, and I have a completely different worldview, we're not going to get anywhere. So what is truth? Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true, even though everyone is a liar. God is true. God is truth. God himself is truth. Not only is God truth, Jesus is truth. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is truth. John 15, verse 26, when the counselor of the Holy Spirit comes the one I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. And then finally, the Word of God, the Scriptures, is truth. Not that it, and this is, this is a, um, say this is a minor point, but it's really major. It doesn't con- just contain truth. The Scripture is truth. Your Word is truth. Every Word of God is pure. John seventeen seventeen sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. So we believe that. And as I've given kind of a three reasons why I believe this, this book is truth. One, it claims to be true. Two, the evidence points to the fact that it is true. And three, my personal experience is this is true. <laughs> and however, I do respect the fact of someone else to have a difference of opinion. And let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Explain to me how you have established some other basis of truth and work from there. God's truth is also absolute. In 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, I know I'm giving a lot of scriptures here, but I think it's important. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. In other words, it's God-breathed. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's a lot loaded into that that one verse. But God's word is true, it is sufficient, it is absolute. So how does this truth... God is true, Jesus is true, the Holy Spirit is true, the Word is true. How does that impact my life in the way that I live? And this is really what Jesus is is getting to. And, And three ways that I see 
that it really impacts my life. The way I think, the way I talk, and what I do. The most important of these is right here. Because that's the place it begins. If you look at all of the sins that, that we commit, uh, it starts here. It's part of this, what we call the heart, the mind, the will, the emotions, the things that people do not see. This is where it begins. So how do I allow truth to dominate my mind? How do I allow truth to dominate my mind? This, this is critical. Well, it's by, by doing the memory program, <laughs> verse of the week. <laughs> like that, it is, it is hiding God's word in your heart. It is putting it in your mind, allowing his truth to shape the way you think. And this is what, what Paul says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know the truth, the truth will set you free. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, and this has to do with mind, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things or think on these things. I believe there are a lot of people in this world who have put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. Salvation is a free gift offered to all. John 3.16, you even see it in the end zones of the game. Uh, God has made it so simple for us to be saved. But for a lot of people, it just stops there. And they kind of flounder through their Christian life. This is so critical that we fill our minds and our hearts with the scriptures, with God's word, what he's communicated to us. This scripture does set us free. This scripture does bring peace into our lives. And I believe this, that this is one of, one of the best ways that you can become a person who lives as the way Jesus describes, a life of truthfulness and of truth-telling, because what you're thinking, and by the way, uh, you ask, do I always think the right things? No. <laughs> uh, Paul talks about how you need to cast down those vain imaginations. It's, it's a, oftentimes it's just a real battle here. You know, I can't help about thinking things, but I can control what I dwell on. And when I dwell on truth, then I will speak truth, and I will also do truth. So Ephesians 4.15 says, By speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way unto him that is the head who is Christ. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is Ephesians 4.15. So when I'm thinking truth constantly, dwelling, meditating on truth, I will speak truth and I will behave that way. Galatians 5.7. Talk about my actions. You are running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Well, it is in our own minds. One more text, and I, and I know as I'm going through my message, I got too much in here, but that, that's typical. <laughs> but, but these are just phenomenal verses. John 8, 31 and 32, this is what Jesus says. He says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. What's a disciple? Disciple's a follower. Mathetes in the Greek means a follower. So if you really want to be a follower of Jesus and abide with him and walk with him, he says, 
continue in my word. What does it mean to continue in his word? You read it, you study it, you memorize it, you go to it, you rely upon it. It permeates your mind. It permeates your life. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I attributed that to Paul earlier as a correction. But this is, you know the truth. It sets you free. So let's come to our final point, which, which is to me an exciting um, explanation or, or demonstration of this. The character illustrated. Who would be the perfect example of a heart that's true? Not counting Jesus. <laughs> Who would be a perfect example of a true and loyal heart? David. David. Some of you knew that, didn't you? <laughs> However, it's in, in fact, in, in Acts 13, 22, after removing him, uh, God speaking of, uh, or he's speaking of Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. I think in the NIV it says he will do everything I ask him to do. Now, what I've found to me is such an amazing truth about this. You know all the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks? Murder. Adultery. Lying. David did them. I don't know if there's anyone here who sinned like David sinned. I mean, we've all sinned. Now, if we were to have a lily-white example, <laughs> it might discourage some of us, but here, here you have a, a man who lusted after a woman who was not his wife. He planned and calculated a plan to commit immorality and adultery with her. She became pregnant, and one of his most loyal soldiers he had murdered. And then he covered it up. And then he went months, probably seven, eight months, just business as usual. So you say, well, God, God said this about David before all that happened. He was a man after my own heart. No, this is after everything's over. A man after my own heart. And he says, he shepherded my people with integrity. That's just an amazing statement. And I'm not going to take time this morning. I, I was, but I've just kind of had so much scripture to, to give. But Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Read that sometime. This is David's prayer of confession. When Nathan the prophet confronted him about what he had done. See, it wasn't, it wasn't that David was perfect. But David responded in this way before the Lord. To me, it's just an amazing, amazing truth. None of us are perfect. But if, but if there's one thing that I would pray that I could be like, it'd be like David. Not in the sins he committed, but in the heart that he had. 
And after David passed away, every other king in the future was compared to David. Everyone was compared to David. Because David was a man after my own heart. I kind of wrote down these, these four qualities of David's life, even though you can imagine how he felt. And not only those sins, you know, he lusted and committed immorality. He murdered Uriah the Hittite. He covered it up. And then later on, he, he really had trouble with his kids as a parent. You know, you look at David, and I imagine he probably, he didn't correct, he didn't correct his sons, but I thought, he probably was thinking, who am I to say anything to anybody about anything? <laughs> My life is such a mess. You ever feel that way? Who am I to say anything? There's a lot of heartbreak in David's life. A lot of sadness. But there's also a lot of joy. I wrote down these uh, four words to start with R. Number one is recognition. He recognized what he had done. And he sinned against God. You know, it wasn't just that he sinned against Bathsheba or he sinned against Uriah the Hittite or he sinned against Israel. I've sinned against God. Two, repentance. Repentance was that he he acknowledged that sin, he turned from that sin, he confessed that sin. Number three, restoration. God washed him clean. This is what he said, not only uh, wash me clean. And he said, renew a right spirit in me. And then rejoicing, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So David was, to me, the perfect biblical example of a person who had integrity of heart, who spoke truth. Not perfectly, but he had that type of relationship, quick to confess, quick to make it right, quick to have it restored, and to move forward. As we said earlier, our hope is in Jesus. Our help is in what all he has given to us. There's one other text that I've thought of. Diane was actually mentioned it to me the other day. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, and I don't have the slide for this, but it says, and all the promises of God are yes in him. And we say, amen. (laughs) So when it comes to an oath, it's not wrong to take an oath. It's not wrong to have a vow. It's not wrong to have a contract. It's not wrong to put things in writing. But you take everything you say seriously. Everything you do seriously. And the way that we become better truth thinkers, better truth tellers, and better truth livers, may not be grammatically correct, is by filling our lives with Scripture and keeping that walk close. Every day confessing. Every day making things right. Every day repenting. And that kind of life has such joy. It has such an attractiveness. And that's why my my friend that I shared with you earlier, he didn't skip a beat. You know, people lied to him. People were just, they're Christians. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) But I I look at that life and he, he couldn't control what was happening around here, but he can control here. The right response to be truthful and have integrity. And we can be that way as well.
Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we're so grateful for the truth of your word given to us. And we thank you for the challenge once again to come back and live lives of integrity. It's not easy in a, in a world that is so superficial and there is so little truth, so much dishonesty. And we can't control that. But Lord, I pray that we be filled with your truth. And every word we speak, to be honest. And so, Lord, in this prayer, too, we also pray that when we fail, because we fail so often, that we would return and confess and give thanks for your forgiveness and have great joy in our relationship with you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.